We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we talk about pop culture from a Jewish perspective and look at Judaism through the lens of pop culture. As always, we are your hosts. I am Rabbi Michael Knopf. And I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And today we are talking about the new Pixar Disney uh, animated film, Soul, starring uh, Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey. Uh, Jesse, you want to tell us a little bit about Soul? Sure. Soul, big announcement. Uh, the first Pixar film to go right to Disney Plus directly to the streaming service. Uh, again, how this pandemic is affecting how we watch movies. A big win for those of us who are Disney Plus subscribers, all 86 plus million of us. Uh, the movie focuses on Jamie Foxx's character, Joe Gardner, who's a middle school music teacher, always dreamed of being a famous jazz musician, never made it as a famous jazz musician, uh, but turns out gets the opportunity through a former student of his to participate in the in the film famed Dorothea Quartet at a local jazz club in New York City. On his way back from his audition, he falls into a manhole and is in this sort of in-between state, uh, a coma of sorts. He finds his soul heading to what the movie refers to as the great beyond on this ascending escalator towards this great white light. He says, no, thanks. I don't want to have anything to do with that. Uh, Jumps off of it and ends up in the great before, which is a training ground for souls and how souls essentially get matched up with bodies and figure out who they're going to be. They find their passion. Um, He meets Tina Fey's character named 22 who had been around for like a gazillion years uh, because she never found what her passion was. Uh, He's trying to get her to give him her soul badge so that he can return to earth back in Joe's body. They both end up following, falling into the black hole that leads to earth. And um, she ends up in his body. He ends up in a cat's body. It's typical funny antics that you'll find in a Pixar film. Uh, in the end, she falls in love with Earth when she didn't think life would be worth living. She falls in love with the simple things, uh, the leaves falling from trees, the animals barking, uh, the noises, the lights. And he gets to accomplish what he set out to accomplish and perform with a Dorothea Quartet. And it was unfulfilling. It was uh, not what he expected, not what he had hoped for. He spent his entire life getting to that moment. Uh, He goes to find 22, sends her back to Earth, and he's prepared to head to the great beyond when he's stopped by a Jerry, one of these weird, uh, disfigure, Picasso-like creatures who cubist, uh, I would say, yeah, a cubist, cubist. That's fair. Yeah. Um, who says that he inspired them and he gives him another chance at life. And the movie ends with him returning to Earth and ready to start his life anew, not focusing on this specific passion of jazz music, and instead just appreciating 
each and every day of life. So that's soul in a nutshell. Uh, Mike, what did you think of the movie? Well, I liked it. Um, it you know, I wasn't blown away by it. I, 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 I'm really taken by, in some ways, how how daring it is for uh, for, for Pixar to have made this movie, uh, because Pixar, of course, is is known for uh, making children's movies and is is known for making children's movies that sometimes you know have adult themes and, and very adult emotions but are kind of you know squarely in that uh movie for kids uh category uh you know with with the kind of twist of uh being something that the that the grown-ups will also really enjoy um this one you know felt to me like a very adult movie um i watched it with my kids yeah. it was not inappropriate for them uh but they were not loving it it was not it was not toy story for them it was not monsters inc it was not cars it was not finding nemo uh and so uh so on that level you know there's a part of me that really appreciates that uh because you know it's it's great to see uh big studios take risks like that and and also to not make a sequel and you know and, and so on and so forth um but uh, but part of me, you know, kind of wished that it was more for the kids than than it actually was. Um, I thought that the animation was gorgeous, uh, and I thought it had some really uh, interesting uh, set designs. You know, New York, the 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 distinction between uh, New York City that really you know looked to me uh, like a like a photo real uh, New York City. It felt like you were really in the thick of the city. Uh, compared to the very sparse, uh, great beyond and great before uh, uh, scenescapes uh, was, uh, was, was really amazing animation. It made me, you know, really sad. Uh, once again, we talked about this when we talked about Wonder Woman 84. Um, sad that I was not seeing it on the big screen. Uh, and, I, and I feel like it really, really uh, you know, did it a disservice to watch it on, uh, you know, on streaming on, on my TV. Interesting. Um, As an animated film, I, I felt that less so with, with this. Well, there, there was a different feeling that I have for Wonder Woman 84, which is that I felt like it would have benefited from a live studio audience. Uh, and for this, I, I, you know, wondered how it would have felt if it was a more immersive kind of experience. Um, but, it, you know, it still was, you know, really, really powerful visuals. Uh, interesting, you know, we'll get into this in, in just a little bit when we talk about the depiction of uh, the afterlife in it. Uh, but uh, but just, you know, really kind of, uh, clever, interesting um, uh, depictions of the afterlife, um, you know, interesting choices that they've made. Um, I thought, uh, you know, I thought that, uh, that the story itself uh, uh, was, uh, was, you know, had a, had a nice message ultimately at the end, uh, but there were aspects of it that were, you know, a little bit muddled for me. Um, you know, not, not Pixar's, I think, best work, but I really kind of applaud the effort. Uh, what did you think, Jesse? Yeah, I went into it as a rabbi and this movie that I know would be about the soul, about uh, the afterlife, thinking, man, this isn't going to be a great movie for us to talk about on our podcast. There's two rabbis talking about pop culture and uh, Jewish thought and Jewish perspective. I thought it was fine. Um, I agree with you. I think the imagery of New York City was great. Um, some of the cultural references of uh, black culture and black community um, were fantastic. Um, 
I thought the story itself was a little shallow um, that they were trying to fill in time with humor, with um, tangential experiences, but the story lacked, um, which may be why, by the way, they decided to release it directly on Disney Plus, where uh, Disney Animation Studios, they're uh, coming out with R Raya the Last Dragon, uh, something like that, that they are yeah. going to uh, offer in theaters and on Disney Plus with a premium subscription, like they did with Mulan, where this was much like Hamilton and just went directly to all subscribers. Uh, maybe they felt like the buzz wasn't enough. I went into it hearing really good buzz about it. And so I was somewhat disappointed that I only enjoyed it. I didn't love it. I have to say, uh, I am a big Pixar fan. Inside Out, I thought was one of the most creative Pixar films seen and was much deeper than Soul yeah. was. Hell, I even, I loved Onward, uh, which many people didn't get to appreciate because uh, it only spent about two weeks in the theater before the pandemic started and then went right into uh, streaming services. I liked Onward more than I liked Soul. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. And, and by the way, the creative team be, behind Soul is also the creative team behind Inside Out. Uh, and, and so, you know, there's there's a lot of parallel and a lot of overlap there. But I, I, I agree with you that uh, Inside Out, I think, was was on just you know, so many levels more more satisfying. Um, and, and and also, again, you know, uh, you know, very much the kind of movie that uh, that, that my kids uh, really enjoyed. They were for a little while there obsessed with Inside Out. Um, they they are not begging to watch Soul again. Um, and uh, you know that said, you know just uh, like clockwork with almost every Pixar movie, um, you know was a puddle of tears by the end of it. Uh, they really do know how to pull on the old heartstrings, and and they and they accomplish it in this. Um, I you know I'm a little disappointed that uh, a movie. Uh, called Soul um, about uh, you know the the, the sort of um, uh, musical significance of uh, of, uh, of African American music um, was about jazz. Uh, maybe I wanted it to be more on the nose, uh, but uh, but it's, you know I I know that they needed to call it Soul, and it's you know works on a couple of levels, but the the music was not soul music; it was jazz music, and you know that kind of irked me a little bit. You know, going back. I did not cry at the end of Soul. Um, I cried at the end of Inside Out. I cried at the end of Finding Nemo. Uh, I, I cried at the end of Toy Story 3. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, who, who didn't? I, I, yeah. I cried at the end of Onward when uh, the younger brother realizes it's actually his older brother who was uh, his father figure the whole time. Spoiler alert. Um, did not cry at the end of Soul. And I think part of it is I'm still struggling. And Mike, hopefully you have insight in this. I'm still struggling to understand and appreciate what the core message of the movie was. I think that it was trying to offer multiple messages at the same time. Yeah, I think you're right. So I think that uh, maybe we, maybe we can, should start there in, you know, as we kind of unpack the Jewish uh, significance of, of the film. Um, you know, my sense of the message was, uh, was maybe one or some combination of, of the following, you know, one is, that, um, that, that, you know, so many of us 
uh, go through life thinking that, you know, unless we accomplish something significant uh, or thinking like, unless we find a particular purpose, which is, you know, like doing what you love, being exceptional and extraordinary at it um, and being happy all the time with what you're doing, then our life was meaningless. Our life was uh, pointless. And so we kind of, you know, it's uh, Sisyphean, right? We kind of, you know, we keep on rolling that boulder up the hill and it keeps on falling back. And then we, we're, we're, we're frustrated by it. Um, uh, but uh, which so by the way, says, is a, is a typical uh, human uh, characteristic, right? It's when they say in Hamilton, who lives, who dies, who tells your story. It's all about the legacy we want to leave and being remembered. Right. And right. I, Hamilton's really great uh, analog for it. Right. And it's also in some ways, maybe that's the tragedy of, of Hamilton um, is uh, or of that character, or the way he's depicted in, in the film is, you know, like there's, you know, there's a million things I haven't done, but just you wait. Right. Um, and and ultimately that sort of ambition is in, is in part Alexander Hamilton's downfall. And I think that that's part of the message of this movie, too, is that um, what what prevents Joe from being happy um, is his inability to find happiness where he is. It's very Moana theme too, right? Um, uh, just like where you are, right? Uh, you, you can find joy and happiness uh, in, in that place. Um, and it's also, I think, and this was kind of muddled in the movie, but I think it's uh, why Tina Fey's character 22 um, uh, never or always tried not to go to earth. And what she ultimately discovered was the beauty and joy of living on earth and what she wanted to uh, have is like, she realized that it was actually a blessing just to be. She realized that it was just a gift to, to be on earth and to be alive. But she had gone through, you know, she had this... Um, uh, stigma of being, you know, a, a tough nut to crack in the great before. And so she was given all of these extraordinary mentors, Abraham Lincoln, I think Aristotle, uh, I don't remember who she had, but you know, I'm, I'm making people up, Gandhi, right. whatever it is. And, and what she learned from that was, unless you are Abraham Lincoln, right, unless you are as successful, memorable uh, as Abraham Lincoln, then you're not really amounting to anything. You're not living up to your potential. Which was um, Joe Gardner's concern, right? He, right. He's, his whole life was about trying to make it as a jazz musician. And if he didn't do that, he thought his life as a middle school music teacher was a failure. Right. Um, you know, listen, I think that that is in some ways a very Jewish message. You know, I think that there, there's a number of ways in which you know, we're, we're taught that uh, in, in our uh, sacred literature, right? The, you know, kind of in a pithy way, um, the rabbi say in, in Pirkei Avot, right? right? Who's a wealthy person, one who is uh, content with their portion or happy with what they have. Um, uh, you know, the Torah ends before Moses, before anybody, well, Moses doesn't get to the promised land at all, but before the children of Israel get to the promised land. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, maybe the message there is that, you know, life is really about the sojourn in the wilderness. Life is about uh, moving from Egypt toward the promised land, but it's always kind of asymptotic, right? We're not, we're not, you know, getting to the end, we're always kind of striving um, to get to the end. And, and so therefore, you know, it's about, you know, building sacred community, uh, you know, building that Mishkan, uh, that, uh, that, that sacred place, even in the midst of the wilderness. Um, and it, it, we see that, you know, really present maybe at the very beginning of the Torah, quite possibly that's the message of the story of 
the Garden of Eden uh, and, uh, and, and uh, Adam and Eve uh, eating from the tree of knowledge, right? That story in some ways is about uh, all of the characters uh, wanting to be more or different than what they were, right? The the serpent wants to be like a human. Uh, the humans want to be like, like gods, right? Nobody is appreciating the fact that they live in the Garden of Eden. And so everybody wants more than that, right? Without recognizing like, hey, we're actually in paradise here. Uh, and so I think that there, that's, um, something that the movie was was highlighting. I'm not sure if it did it so successfully uh, in in the end, uh, but uh, but but I think that that's a, a really powerful and really Jewish man. One I one I struggle with, you know, personally. Like that's a spiritual practice that I work on. Um, I suspect that there are probably a lot of rabbis that uh, that that um, have that as their um, spiritual work to do. Is you know, the, the appreciation of the life that we're living uh, rather than the, you know, constant striving and struggle to, you know, to be more um, instead of just being. And it's also something that I see my congregants, you know, struggling with, with all the time. Uh, you know, just I'll leave, uh, I'll finish with this thought and I want to hear your thoughts on this, Jesse. Um, David Brooks, the, the columnist, um, wrote and, and then get, gave a TED talk about how we should strive to live our eulogy and not our resume. He said so many people um, struggle and, uh, and even become depressed because they're trying to live their resume, right? They, you know, they want to, they, they want to like have the, you know, the, the, the accomplishments that will kind of distinguish them from the pack. But people who are ultimately happy and happiest and most fulfilled are the people who are living their eulogy, right? And when we, when, when we eulogize people, you know, sometimes we talk about their accomplishments, sometimes they're a big business success, something like that. But really we talk about their values, what sure. kind of person they were, um, you know, uh, what they gave to others, um, the, the families that they built and, and nurtured. That's what we talk about when we eulogize people. And so people who, who actually are uh, content with, with, with their eulogy life are the happiest people. I, I think you're right about that. When I teach tefillah to uh, our students uh, in our religious school, um, we, I talk about Birkot Shachar, the morning blessings, as everyday miracle blessings. Right. That's really the essence of them, that these are the things that we take for granted. These are the things that we never really appreciate, but these are the things that without them, our lives would be totally different, right? Without freedom, without sight, without um, the ability to walk, without clothing, our, our lives would not be the same. And I think there really is something to appreciating those small things in life. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this pandemic specifically. Um, and I say this fully acknowledging that there are hundreds of thousands of Americans who have lost their lives. There are as President-elect Biden often said, that there are people who sit down at the dinner table and there are empty seats at their table more and more every day. I acknowledge people in my own community who I mourn, who we miss, uh, members of our community who did not get the opportunity to mourn their loved ones properly in the way that they deserved. That being said, right when 
you know, if we could strive to find a sliver of light and all this, which I think is the only thing that we can do. Maybe I'm an eternal optimist because I think uh, hope is all that we have. And without hope, we have nothing. Uh, Rabbi Yitz Greenberg taught that hope is the greatest gift the Jewish people have given the world. Um, and with all the things that uh, I've lost and miss out on during this experience, there have also been beautiful moments during this almost a year long pandemic. I've had dinner with my family each and every night. I've got it to be there for bedtime each and every night. We've cooked more and baked more and played more board games and watched too many movies together. Um, we've gone on walks. We've done all these life experiences. And these are things that I think about now what I have overlooked or underappreciated if the world was normal, but specifically because of this pandemic, it's those small things that I've come to appreciate more. Um, and what this movie is really teaching is you needed Soul 22 to appreciate those small things in order for Joe Gardner to do so as well. I, I think about when my children uh, specifically my oldest, who's now 10, when she was a toddler and she would ask questions. There's this one time we were walking home from shul uh, after Mincha and it was getting dark. And she said, I don't want to go to bed. I was like, you don't have to go to bed. She's like, but why did God turn out the light? And just that way she saw the world's you know, that every blade of grass, every bird chirping was an example of God's majesty and role as creator of the universe. You know, when I see snow, I was like, ah, oh, damn it. I have to, you know, turn on the snowblower. And when they see the, the smallest flakes of snow coming from the sky, they want to put on their mittens and boots and run out away outside, even if there's not even enough snow to make a snowball. And so I think the message of the movie, you're right, is live our present, live every day as if it is our last, so that we don't come to have any regrets when that last day comes. If we appreciate everything in our, in our lives and appreciate the slivers of light, even in the darker moments around us, we know that life was worth living. Yeah, you know, something you just said there uh, sparked for me. I don't know if you ever uh, read Milton Steinberg's, um, the the um, great mid-century uh, conservative rabbi, author of uh, As a Driven Leaf, um, gave a sermon. He had he suffered from significant health problems. And um, once he uh, came back from the hospital after having a uh, near-death experience, essentially, and talks about the experience of... Um, of coming back to life after that and leaving the hospital and what that was like. And, uh, and, and he said, um, you know, what I learned in that moment was exactly what you said, right. To, to like really deeply appreciate, you know, like we say in, in daily prayer, right. Uh, uh, right. All of your miracles that are daily with us. Right. Um, and so, so his conclusion from that was, that the, you know, that, you know, sort of carpe diem, like you have to like, like seize the moment um, and, uh, and, and appreciate everything, every moment, every day. 
Um, but then he said he also realized that that was only a half truth. Um, that if you live that way, you actually uh, can contribute more suffering to yourself uh, because the nature of life is impermanence, right? We're, we're always, um, you know, uh, you know th that snow that uh, is amazing, you know, that your kids see, right? It melts, right? It goes away. And so, um, and so like, you know, you have that similar thing that, you know, kids are excited that snows uh, here and then really, really sad when it, when it, when the snowman melts. And so he says that the, um, that, that the, you know, two kind of paradoxical truths that we have to hold simultaneously um, is that, you know, we should embrace enthusiastically every single gift that we have in our lives and also be able to let it go. So the title of the sermon is to hold with open arms. Right. Well, it's the idea that if it was permanent, we wouldn't appreciate it in right. the same way, right? right. It's uh, connecting to an episode that we spoke about previously when we spoke about The Good Place. And by the time they get to, I think it's the last season of The Good Place, when they finally make it to The Good Place and they get bored quickly because they right. have everything they could have ever imagined and wanted in that version of the afterlife. And it gets bored. Everybody becomes almost like uh, zombies with their eyes glazed over in a vegetative state. Right. That too much of anything is not okay. Right. And I, you know, I think that the good place is is maybe a good uh, way to segue into you know the other kind of significant aspect of this movie was which is its depiction of the afterlife. You know, we we talked about this a little bit when we talked about The Good Place a, a few months ago. The Good Place, you know, is an example, I think, of, you know, probably one of the best shows of the last, you know, 10 years. Uh, and and a show that, you know, really, really, I think, stuck the landing on its finality. You know, a, a, another moment in which, you know, I was a puddle of tears uh, by the end of it, too. Um, and, you know, very, very different take on the afterlife uh, on some level than, than Soul. What did you think about Soul's depiction of the afterlife you know mike this is where you and i think may may view what we watch differently i was somewhat disappointed because i think it maybe intentionally actually did not address the afterlife at all uh we never right, see for a movie for a movie ostensibly about the afterlife it was very much about life in this world which is i guess kind of jewish right and, and about the hanging in the balance about trying to avoid the afterlife, right? The whole movie was about Joel Gardner, Joe Gardner's soul trying, right? He jumps off that escalator and ends up in the great before because he doesn't want to enter that white light into the great beyond. He's scared of what the great beyond is. Um, you know, there's this great story by Rabbi Al Lewis that he, he taught um, in Mitch Albom's book, Have a Little Faith, where he talks about uh, the funeral of his childhood rabbi. And in it, uh, Rabbi Lewis's, I think it's his grandson, comes up with a tape recorder and presses play. And it's a cassette tape where you hear Rabbi Lewis's voice. In a sing-songy way, he says, this is your rabbi speaking. All of you ask me what happens when we die. Now I know, and I can't tell you. Um, and I think part of them not addressing the afterlife was Pixar's decision to not be too religious and to not offer one specific religious viewpoint. Part of it is also even within uh, Judaism, 
it's unclear what happens when you die. We talk a lot about Olam Haba, the world to come, and it's unclear if that is the afterlife or if that is messianic redemption. Um, and, and Masechet Brachot, it says that in this world to come, again, whatever state it is, there's no eating, no drinking, no pre- procreation, no business, no, but no jealousy, h- hatred, or competition either. So it's unclear what that afterlife is or looks like. The only thing that I got from the movie was an avoidance of the afterlife, a, a striving to live your life in the here and now. One of the reasons that our Talmudic rabbis focus so much on the world to come, I think is because they are trying to grapple with living in exile, um, being persecuted for their beliefs, living under a, a rule that is a faith different than their own, not in a sovereign state. And they're trying to get their own community to buy into this whole thing called rabbinic Judaism. And they're saying, oh, have faith because in the afterlife, we will be rewarded. Every Jew has a share in the world to come. Things will be better. Um, But I think what this movie suggests is that the afterlife is something that you fear. Listen, between you and me, that's one of our biggest challenges. We don't talk about death enough uh, in our religious communities. So we all fear death. We, you know, whether we die far too soon or whether we are 95 years old on our deathbeds, having lived a full and complete life, we're often not ready to go because we don't talk about what comes next. So it's a really good point. I mean, I think that, you know, arguably the the movie does kind of um, uh, hit that note at the end where Joe, you know, is willing to accept fate in the great beyond um, in order for 22 to live, right? Recognizing that um, that he got a chance to live uh, and that at some point you have to let go. Which um, by the way, I wonder if they changed the ending because of test audiences or something. I would have loved it a lot more if he ends up in the great beyond when this character says, okay, you know, you were great. So we'll, instead of going to the great beyond, we'll let you go back to earth. Uh, and I get it. And then he, the movie ends with him appreciating the everyday of Earth much more. Um, but it almost would have been better if he accepted reality that everybody dies and sometimes it's an untimely death. Right. And, which, you know, and, and, and so he encounters uh, a, a soul on the escalator to the great beyond at the, uh, you know, toward in the first third of the movie uh, where, you know, who, who, you know, is, is, looking forward to the great beyond right and uh and that i think is uh you know those kind of represent the two extremes um you know both like you know a sort of like you know readiness to accept uh to accept that fate um and a you know profound unwillingness uh to to do so and you know i think that that the you know in between i think that that's ultimately the lesson here you know it's um it's the poet mary oliver you know, says this, you know, it's like, what, you know, when, when death comes for me, I'm paraphrasing her, when death comes, you know, I don't want to be frightened or furious or full of argument, right? I want to be, you know, full of wonder and curiosity about, you know, what, what's, what, you know, what's, what's behind that curtain, right? Um, and, uh, and that's, I think, you know, one of the things I think the movie is, is trying to stress is, you know, um, uh, 
is is live in such a way that when it is your time, um, you can just accept it, right? Um, and if and if you spend all of your life feeling like you're 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 meaningless unless you you know have that like you know one big job, right? Um, then you're then you're going to be you know fighting tooth and nail. Um, until the last breath and ultimately miserable because of it. I think that, you know, one of the, the, one of the, I think what you're hitting at Jesse about the difference in uh, both the um, both soul's depiction of the afterlife and Judaism's sense of the afterlife, um, which I think is also, you know, in, in some ways closer, the good places uh, depiction of the afterlife is the good place really grapples with the, uh, the, the notion of a moral afterlife. Right, that like that that part of the purpose, you know, at least uh, in the sort of historical development of religion of 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 the afterlife was an answer to those to those sort of moral questions. Right, why does it seem like bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? Um, that it doesn't always feel like you know you are uh, rewarded for good for righteous behavior in 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 during your life. You know where we're you know, taught that if you kind of like follow the rules that things will be well for you. Um, and the answer that, you know, they come to is, and this is expressed again in, in Pirkei Avot and other places in rabbinic literature, right? That, um, uh, that you know, the, the, uh, 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 that the reward for righteousness is uh, in the next life. Right. Um, that that ultimately, you know, uh, you get your just desserts. It just may not happen in this world. Right. There's also you know, difference of opinion, whether it happens, you know, after death or at the end of history. Those things actually, you know, from a uh, uh, from from the point of view of astrophysics that like may actually be talking about the same thing. Right. If we're talking about like after time, um, then then after life, uh, maybe uh, the same the same idea. Um, but I, I think that that's, you know, uh, uh, where uh, Judaism, you know, is is really ultimately talking about when it talks about the afterlife is, you know, a sense that um, there's a there's a, a moral order that's not always evident on Earth. It's and, grappling with with theodicy. Right. right? With, with uh, bad things happening to good people um, when the theology that at least they were believing in and teaching at the time uh, of the Talmudic era was totally the opposite of that, right? The, the Torah is pretty clear. You do good, you are rewarded, you do bad, you are punished. And they quickly learned that that is not the real world. And so they had to, I would say, I hate to be so... Um, so much of a naysayer about the afterlife, right? I do believe that there is a world to come, um, although uh, I am unsure of what that afterlife looks like entirely. But the rabbis felt it so essential to create a sense of afterlife and teach about that because I think you're right, Mike, that they had trouble with the idea that those who were their most devout followers dealt with pain and suffering. That you have the the jobs of of the worlds, yeah, um, and you know it's a, so I guess that you know the the um, I think that you, you know you can argue that 
you know, the filmmakers of Seoul were, were kind of, you know, uh, cynical in their approach to the afterlife uh, because, you know, we can't make it uh, too close to any one particular religious tradition, you know, so that we don't alienate audiences. But I also think that it actually is um, a, uh, uh, it's, it's not, necessarily cynical, but it actually reflects the kind of like spiritual but not religious ethos of, of our time, right? Which is, you know, in some ways, um, all about, um, you know, avoiding those uncomfortable parts of religion that actually demand uh, moral accountability in, in, in sometimes rigid, but like very um, serious ways. Uh, and I, you know, I think that, you know, the idea that, um, you know, that, that we are sort of like, you know, these uh, beings of pure light that return to our source uh, uh, and therefore like nothing that we do on earth, good or bad, um, is of ultimate significance. Um, that's, that's not the Jewish view, right? And, uh, and, and I think that uh, it's, it's um, arguably, you know, a, a pretty empty view um, that, you know, that's, that's, I think, pretty predominant in, in our wider culture. Judaism teaches that we um, let stand on the shoulders of those who have come before us. And so we are a link in this chain of tradition. People, um, our actions matter. And in some ways they are the legacy that we're leaving for our descendants in the same way that Isaac redug the wells of his father uh, that he did so following in his father's footsteps. So the idea that we don't have an, uh, an impact on, on the future and uh, how we live our lives in this world uh, doesn't mean anything, I think um, is not what Judaism is saying at all. Um, where I think this movie really differs from Judaism and where I think this movie falls short is in the end of the day, the message of the movie, the message of soul is live every life to the fullest, find reasons for blessing in your life. And I love it, right? The rabbis teach that we should say a hundred blessings every day. Uh, that's a beautiful message, but the movie never addresses what happens when we die. When again, that's, I think my, my biggest complaint about the movie, when that's the point of the movie, Right, the the or at least maybe it's one of these aha gotcha moments. You think the point of the movie is actually about what happens when you die, and they're trying to tell us no, it's actually about how you live. Well, they you listen. I mean, I think that uh, you can you can either say that they sort of dodge the question of what happens after we die, uh, or they answer it, but it's not necessarily a satisfying answer, right? So, and I think that they do answer it, right? You you become sort of like reabsorbed into the energy of the universe. I think that there is a way in which that is both um, a, um, you know, a, a fair uh, uh, portrayal uh, based on, you know, sort of what we know of, uh, of, 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 you know, physics and um, uh, that, that we are, you know, um, beings of energy, right? Um, and matter is really just energy slowed down. And so that when we die, our energy is can't be it doesn't doesn't go away, it just gets reabsorbed into the, the rest of the universe, right? And, uh, and, and I also think that there's a, 
a Jewish echo there, which is, you know, uh, we say often when, when people die uh, that they are tzror b'tzor chayim, or we pray that they are tzror b'tzor chayim, right? That, that they become bound up in the bonds of, of life, which, you know, can be spun in a more sort of like this worldly way, right? About uh, being kind of, you know, living Connected on in each other's memories and being present in each other's lives. Um, but I think it, it's quite possible that in its inception was that that we, you know, our souls kind of go back to their source, right? Get sort of reabsorbed into God, right? And um, and, and to me, that's actually a kind of comforting idea, right? That 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 you know, when we die, we don't die. We just uh, um, it's some it's it, you could argue it's Buddhist in a way too, or that you know, Judaism and Buddhism are are aligned in this way that we um, that that we continue to live on. Um, uh, but in, in a different way. And that's actually, you know, what made me think of the good place is, um, uh, that, uh, Chidi's, you know, final, um, talk with Eleanor in, uh, in the good place presents that Buddhist image of a wave, you know, sure. that's, that's, you know, in one particular Comes kind of close, form and, and you then, can see it, right. Yeah. It, it crashes on the shore and then goes back. The wave didn't go away. It was just a different way. A wave was just a different way for water to be for a little while, right? And that's also, I think, you know, arguably what Judaism is saying by Tzura Chaim, that being a human being is a way that we, that our souls are for a little while. We are spiritual beings that have a brief physical existence, and then eventually we become spiritual beings again. Uh, and that's when we say, right, when somebody dies, we say, al nikomo yavol v'shalom. Right, that right. We go, go back to, to our God. source, exactly. In peace, um, right. but 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 we also say praise God as team a God who gives life to the dead, um, and so is that suggesting resurrection, right? In its earliest form, I think that is what the liturgy meant, sure. or is that suggesting when we look at this great before that Pixar portrays, is that giving life to the soul and placing the soul in our bodily vessels? Yeah, it's a, well, it's a really good question. And and I also want to throw into the mix here, you know, um, another uh, Pixar movie that I don't think that we've covered on uh, Pop Tora, which is Coco. Um, and, you know, another great movie. Great movie. Um, also, I think, you know. Also made me cry. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, you know, works better as a children's movie and grapples with some of the same you know, themes here, the depiction of the afterlife is, is just really imaginative uh, and, and beautiful. Um, and, and there, you know, the story is also about not, even though it's set a lot of it in the afterlife, it's really about, you know, life uh, in, in this world. Um, and, it's, and it's about, you know, how we um, uh, honor our past and hold uh, memories of each other alive, right? That is, arguably what tradition is saying by things but like surah chayim right that we uh um that we you know uh, remain in life everlasting so long as our memory is present um and, and also uh the idea of uh right like we can give life to the dead um it's within our power also not only god's to give life to the dead uh by uh, by by ensuring that their memories remain ever present yeah um right that's what we that's that's what we tell 
our own community members when they are mourning, right? How do we make sure that our loved one's memories for a blessing by continuing to tell stories of them, by continuing to uh, share pictures of them, by continuing to tell their jokes and take on their mannerisms, by continuing to, you know, bake their recipes, that sort of thing. Um, so final verdict on soul, Mike, would you recommend it? I think it's worth watching. Um, would you I, watch it again? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, probably not. It probably won't be a repeat view in, in my household. How about you? Uh, same. I think it. Um, I might use it gave, to teach. It gave plenty of, of food for thought. Um, but uh, and it could be a good jumping off point to teach some of the texts of our tradition, but doesn't necessarily line up with, I think, the messages of our tradition in the same way that I would want to teach about the world to come. I do appreciate the underlying lesson of live every life to the fullest and appreciate the blessings of every day. Amen. And, uh, you know, as we continue to um, navigate this um, strange and sad time, um, it's, it's really a great lesson to hold on to, um, that, uh, you know, again, right. It's, uh, it, maybe it reflects, uh, the, the privilege, uh, that, that we live with. Um, but I think everybody has the capacity, even, and especially during, uh, these challenging times, uh, to, uh, to, to, to think about and discover, you know, um, what are the blessings, uh, even in, in times of struggle. Amen. Amen. Well, until next time, I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. Stay safe and healthy, everyone.